0: chapter two of sea and sardinia by d h lawrence this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by anthony ogus the sea the fat old porter knocks ah me once more it is dark get up again before dawn a dark sky outside cloudy the thrilling tinkle of innumerable goat bells as the first flock enters the city such a rippling sound. Well, it must be morning, even if one shivers at it, and at least it does not rain. That pale, bluish theatrical light outside of the first dawn, and a cold wind. We come on to the wide, desolate quay, the curve of the harbour, penormous, that horrible dawn pallor of a cold sea out there, and here port mud greasy, and fish, and refuse, "'The American girl is with us, wrapped in her sweater. "'A coarse, cold, black, slimy world. "'She seems as if she would melt away before it. "'But these frail creatures, what a lot they can go through. "'Across the great, wide, badly paved, "'mud-greasy, despairing road of the quayside, "'and to the sea. "'There lies our steamer, "'over there in the dawn-dusk of the basin, half-visible.' "'That one who is smoking her cigarette,' says the porter. "'She looks little beside the huge city of Trieste, "'who is lying up next her. "'Our rowboat is hemmed in by many empty boats, "'huddled to the side of the quay. "'She works her way out like a sheepdog "'working his way out of a flock of sheep, "'or like a boat through pack-ice. "'We are on the open basin.' The rower stands up and pushes the oars from him. He gives a long melancholy cry to someone on the quay. The water goes chock chock against the urging bows. The wind is chill. The fantastic peaks behind Palermo show half ghostly in a half dark sky. The dawn seems reluctant to come. Our steamer still smokes her cigarette meaning the funnel smoke, across there. So one sits still and crosses the level space of half-dark water. Masts of sailing ships and spars cluster on the left, on the undarkening sky. Climb up, climb up, this is our ship. Up we go, up the ladder. Ow but,' says the American girl, "'isn't she small, isn't she impossibly small?' oh my will you go in such a little thing oh dear thirty-two hours in such a little boat why no i wouldn't care for it at all a bunch of stewards cooks waiters engineers pan cleaners and what not mostly in black canvas jackets nobody else on the ship a little black bunch of loutish crew with nothing to do and we, the first passengers, served up to be jeered at. There you are, in the grey light. Who is going? We too. The signorina is not going. Tickets. These are casual proletarian manners. We are taken into the one long room with a long table and many maple golden doors, alternate panels having a wedgwood blue and white picture inserted, a would-be goddess of white marble on a blue ground like a health salts hygeia advertisement one of the plain panels opens our cabin oh dear why it isn't as big as a china closet however will you get in cries the american girl one at a time say i but it's the tiniest place i ever saw it really was tiny "'one had to get into a bunk to shut the door. "'That did not matter to me. "'I am no Titanic American. "'I pitched the knapsack on one bunk, "'the kitchenino on the other, "'and we shut the door. "'The cabin disappeared into a maple-wood panel "'of the long subterranean stateroom. "'Why, is this the only place you've got to sit in?' "'cried the American girl. "'But how perfectly awful!' No air and so dark and smelly. Why, I never saw such a boat. Will you really go? Will you really? The stateroom was truly rather subterranean and stuffy, with nothing but a long table and an uncanny company of screw-pin chairs seated thereat, and no outlet to the air at all. But it was not so bad otherwise to me, who have never been out of Europe. Those maplewood panels and ebony curves, and those hygias. They went all round, even round the curve at the dim distant end, and back up the near side. Yet how beautiful old gold-coloured maple wood is! How very lovely, with the ebony curves of the door arch! There was a wonderful old-fashioned Victorian glow in it, and a certain splendour. Even one could bear the Hygieas let in under glass. The colour was right, that wedge wood and white, in such lovely gold lustre there was a certain homely grandeur still in the days when this ship was built a richness of choice material and health salts hygeas wedgwood greek goddesses on advertisement placards yet they weren't advertisements that was what really worried me they never had been perhaps wego's health salts stole her later we have no coffee that goes without saying nothing doing so early the crew still stands in a gang exactly like a gang of louts at a street corner and they've got the street all to themselves, this ship. We climb to the upper deck. She is a long, slender old steamer with one little funnel and she seems so deserted now that one can't see the street corner gang of the casual crew. They are just below. Our ship is deserted. The dawn is wanly blueing the sky is a curdle of cloud. There is a bit of pale gold eastwards, beyond Monte Pellegrino. The wind blows across the harbour. The hills behind Palermo prick up their ears on the skyline. The city lies unseen, near us and level. There a big ship is coming in, the Naples boat. And the little boats keep putting off from the near quay and coming to us. We watch. A stout officer, cavalry in grey-green, with a big dark-blue cloak lined with scarlet. The scarlet lining keeps flashing. He has a little beard, and his uniform is not quite clean. He has big wooden chests tied with rope for luggage. Poor and of no class. Yet that scarlet, splendid lining, and the spurs. It seems a pity they must go second class yet so it is he goes forward when the dock porter has hoisted those wooden boxes no fellow passenger yet boats still keep coming ha ha here is the commissariat various sides of kid ready for roasting various chickens fennel like celery wine in a bottiglione new bread packages hand them up hand them up good food cries the q b in anticipation it must be getting near time to go. Two more passengers, young, thick men in black, broadcloth, standing up in the stern of a little boat, their hands in their pockets, looking a little cold about the chin. Not quite Italian, too sturdy and manly. Sardinians from Cagliari, as a matter of fact. We go down from the chill upper deck. It is growing full day bits of pale gold are flying among delicate but cold flakes of cloud from the east over monte pellegrino bits of very new turquoise sky come out palermo on the left crouches upon her all harbour a little desolate disorderly end of the world end of the sea along her quay front even from here we can see the yellow carts rattling slowly the mules nodding their high weird plumes of scarlet along the broad weary harbour-side. O oh, painted carts of Sicily, with all history on your panels. Arrives an individual at our side. The captain fears it will not be possible to start. There is much wind outside, much wind. How they love to come up with alarming, disquieting or annoying news. The joy it gives them. What satisfaction on all the faces! Of course all the other loafers are watching us, the street-corner loungers of this deck, but we have been many times bitten. Ah, ma, say I, looking at the sky, not so much wind as all that. An air of quiet, shrugging indifference is most effectual, as if you knew all about it, a good deal more than they knew. "'Ah, si, molto vento, molto vento, outside, outside!' With a long face and a dramatic gesture, he points out of the harbour to the grey sea. I too look out of the harbour at the pale line of sea beyond the mole, but I do not trouble to answer, and my eye is calm, so he goes away, only half triumphant. "'Things seem to get worse and worse!' cries the american friend what will you do on such a boat if you have an awful time out in the mediterranean here oh no will you risk it really won't you go from civita vecchia how awful it will be cries the q-b looking round the grey harbour the many masts clustering in the grey sky on the right the big naples boat turning her posterior to the quayside a little way off "'and cautiously budging backwards, "'the almost entirely shut-in harbour, "'the bits of blue and flying white cloud overhead, "'the little boats like beetles "'scuttling hither and thither across the basin, "'the thick crowd on the quay "'come to meet the Naples boat. "'Time, time, the American friend must go. "'She bids us good-bye more than sympathetically. "'I shall be awfully interested to hear how you get on.' So down the side she goes. The boatman wants twenty francs, wants more, but doesn't get it. He gets ten, which is five too much. And so sitting rather small and pinched and cold-looking, huddled in her sweater, she bibbles over the ripply water to the distant stone steps. We wave farewell, but other traffic comes between us and the QB feeling nervous is rather cross because the American friends' ideas of luxury have put us in such a poor light. We feel like the poorest of poor seafaring relations. Our ship is hooting for all she's worth. An important last-minuter comes surging up. The rope hawsers are being wound clankily in seagulls there are never very many in the mediterranean seagulls whirl like a few flakes of snow in the upper chill air clouds spin and without knowing it we are evaporating away from the shore from our mooring between the great city of trieste and another big black steamer that lies like a wall we breathe towards this second black wall of steamer distinctly and of course an individual in an official cap is standing on the bottom of our departure ladder, just above the water, yelling, BAKA BAKA, shouting for a boat. And an old man on the sea stands up to his oars and comes pushing his clumsy boat with gathering speed between us and the other black wall. There he stands away below there, small, firing his clumsy boat along remote as if in a picture on the dark green water, and our black side insidiously and evilly aspires to the other huge black wall. He rose in the canyon between and is nearly here. When, lo, the individual on the bottom step turns in the other direction, another boat from the open basin is sweeping up. It is a race. She is near. She is nearer. She is up. With a covet, the boat from the open rounds up at the ladder. The boat between the gulf backs its oars. The official individual shouts and waves. The old man backing his oars in the gulf below yells expostulation. The boat from the open carries off its prey. Our ship begins slowly to puddle, 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 working her screw. The man in the gulf of green water rose for his life. We are floating into the open basin. Slowly, slowly, we turn round, and as the ship turns, our hearts turn. Palermo fades from our consciousness. The Naples boat, the disembarking crowds, the rattling carriages to the land, the great city of Trieste, all fades from our heart. We see only the open gap of the harbour entrance and the level, pale grey void of the sea beyond there are wisps of gleamy light out there. And out there our heart watches, though Palermo is near us, just behind. We look round and see it all behind us, but already it is gone, gone from our heart. The fresh wind, the gleamy wisps of light, the running open sea beyond the harbour bars. And so we steam out, and almost at once the ship begins to take a long, slow, dizzy dip and a fainting swoon upwards, and a long, slow, dizzy dip slipping away from beneath one. The QB turns pale. Up comes the deck in that fainting swoon backwards, then down it fades in that indescribable slither forwards. It is all quite gentle, quite, quite gentle, but oh so long, and so slow, and so dizzy. Rather pleasant, say I to the QB, "'Yes, rather lovely, really,' she answers wistfully. "'To tell the truth, there is something in the long, slow lift of the ship "'and her long, slow slide forwards, which makes my heart beat with joy. "'It is the motion of freedom. "'To feel her come up, then slide slowly forward "'with the sound of the smashing of waters, "'is like the magic gallop of the sky, "'the magic gallop of elemental space.' that long, slow, waveringly rhythmic rise and fall of the ship, with waters snorting, as it were, from her nostrils. Oh God, what a joy it is to the wild, innermost soul! One is free at last, and lilting in a slow flight of the elements, winging outwards. O oh God, to be free of all the hemmed in life, the horror of human tension, the absolute insanity of machine persistence. The agony which a train is to me really and the long drawn-out agony of a life among tense resistant people on land and then to feel the long slow lift and drop of this almost empty ship as she took the waters ah god liberty liberty elemental liberty i wished in my soul the voyage might last forever that the sea had no end that one might float in this wavering tremulous yet long and surging pulsation while ever time lasted space never exhausted and no turning back no looking back even the ship was almost empty save of course for the street corner louts who hung about just below on the deck itself we stood alone on the weather faded little promenade deck which has old oak seats with old carved little lions at the ends for arm-rests, and a little cabin mysteriously shut, which much peeping determined as the wireless office and the operator's little curtained bed niche. Cold fresh wind, a black-blue translucent rolling sea on which the wake rose in snapping foam, and Sicily on the left, Monte Pellegrino, a huge, inordinate mass of pinkish rock, hardly crisped with the faintest vegetation, looming up to heaven from the sea. Strangely large in mass and bulk, Monte Pellegrino looks, and bare like a Sahara in heaven, and old-looking. These coasts of Sicily are very imposing, terrific, fortifying the interior, and again one gets the feeling that age has worn them bare, as if old, old civilizations had worn away and exhausted the soil, leaving a terrifying blankness of rock, as at Syracuse in plateaus, and here in a great mass. There seems hardly anyone on board but ourselves, we alone on the little promenade deck, strangely lonely, floating on a bare old ship, past the great bare shores, on a rolling sea, stooping and rising in the wind. The wood of the fittings is all bare and weather-silvered, the cabin, the seats, even the little lions of the seats. The paint wore away long ago, and this timber will never see paint any more. Strange to put one's hand on the old oaken wood, so sea-fibred. Good old delicate threaded oak. I swear it grew in England and everything so carefully done, so solidly and everlastingly. I look at the lions with the perfect-fitting oaken pins through their paws, clinching them down, and their little mouths open. They are as solid as they were in Victorian days, as immovable. They will never wear away. What a joy in the careful, thorough, manly, everlasting work put into a ship, at least into this sixty-year-old vessel. Every bit of this old oak wood, so sound, so beautiful, and the whole welded together with joints and wooden pins, far more beautifully and livingly than iron welds, rustless, life-born, living tissued old wood, rustless as flesh is rustless, and happy-seeming as iron never can be. She rides so well, she takes the sea so beautifully as a matter of course.' Various members of the crew wander past to look at us. This little promenade deck is over the first-class quarters, full in the stern. So we see first one head, then another, come up the ladder, mostly bare heads, and one figure after another slouches past, smoking a cigarette. All crew. At last the QB stops one of them. It is what they are all waiting for, an opportunity to talk and asks if the weird object on the top of Pellegrino is a ruin could there be a more touristy question no it is a semaphore station slap in the eye for the q-b she doesn't mind however and the member of the crew proceeds to converse he is a weedy hollow-cheeked town product a palermitan he wears faded blue overalls and informs us he is the ship's carpenter happily unemployed for the rest of his life, apparently, and taking it as rather less than his dues. The ship once did the Naples Palermo course, a very important course, in the old days of the General Navigation Company. The General Navigation Company sold her for 80,000 liras years ago, and now she was worth two million. We pretend to believe, but I make a poor show. I am thoroughly sick to death of the sound of liras, no man can overhear ten words of italian today without two thousand or two million or ten or twenty or two liras flying like venomous mosquitoes round his ears liras 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 nothing else romantic poetic cypress and orange tree italy is gone remains in italy smothered in the filthy smother of innumerable lira notes ragged unsavoury paper money so thick upon the air that one breathes it like some greasy fog behind this greasy fog some people may still see the italian sun i find it hard work through this murk of liras you peer at Michelangelo and at botticelli and the rest and see them all as through a glass darkly for heavy around you is italy's after-the-war atmosphere darkly pressing you, squeezing you, milling you into dirty paper notes. King Harry was lucky that they only wanted to coin him into gold. Italy wants to mill you into filthy paper liras. Another head, and a black alpaca jacket and a serviette this time, to tell us coffee is ready, not before it is time too. We go down into the subterranean stateroom and sit on the screw-pin chairs while the ship does the slide-and-slope trot under us, and we drink a couple of cups of coffee and milk and eat a piece of bread and butter. At least one of the innumerable members of the crew gives me one cup, then casts me off. It is most obviously his intention that I shall get no more because, of course, the innumerable members of the crew could all just do with another coffee and milk. However, though the ship heaves and the alpaca coats cluster menacingly in the doorway, I balance my way to the tin buffet and seize the coffee pot and the milk pot, and am quite successful in administering to the QB and myself. Having restored the said vessels to their tin altar, I resume my spin chair at the long and dessert board, the q-b and i are alone save that in the distance a very fat back with gold braid collar sits sideways and a fat hand disposes of various papers he is part of the one and only table of course the tall lean alpaca jacket with a face of yellow stone and a big black moustache moves from the outer doorway glowers at our filled cups and goes to the tin altar and touches the handles of the two vessels just touches them to an arrangement as one who should say these are mine what dirty foreigner dares help himself as quickly as possible we stagger up from the long dungeon where the alpaca jackets are swooping like blue bottles upon the coffee-pots into the air there the carpenter is waiting for us like a spider "'Isn't the sea a little quieter?' says the QB wistfully. She is growing paler. "'No, signora, how should it be?' says the gaunt-faced carpenter. "'The wind is waiting for us behind Cape Gallo. You see that cape?' He points to a tall black cliff-front in the sea ahead. "'When we get to that cape, we get the wind and the sea. Here,' he makes a gesture, "'it is moderate.' Ach," oh, says the QB, turning paler, "'I'm going to lie down.' she disappears the carpenter finding me stony ground goes forward and i see him melting into the crowd of the innumerable crew that hovers on the lower deck passage by the kitchen and the engines the clouds are flying fast overhead and sharp and isolated come drops of rain so that one thinks it must be spray but no it is a handful of rain the ship swishes and sinks forward, gives a hollow thudding and rears slowly backward along this pinkish lofty coast of Sicily that is just retreating into a bay. From the open sea comes the rain, come the long waves. No shelter, one must go down. The QB lies quietly in her bunk. The stateroom is stale like a passage on the underground railway no shelter save near the kitchen and the engines where there is a bit of warmth the cook is busy cleaning fish making the whiting bite their tails venomously at a little board just outside his kitchen hole a slow stream of kitchen-filled swilkers back and forth along the ship's side a gang of the crew leans near me a larger gang further down heaven knows what they can all be but they never do anything but stand in gangs and talk and eat and smoke cigarettes. They're mostly young, mostly Palermitan, with a couple of unmistakable Neapolitans, having the peculiar Neapolitan hang-dog good looks, the chiselled cheek, the little black moustache, the large eyes. But they chew with their cheeks bulged out and laugh with their fine semi-sarcastic noses. The whole gang looks continually sideways. Nobody ever commands them. There seems to be absolutely no control. Only the fat engineer in grey linen looks as clean and as competent as his own machinery. Queer how machine control puts the pride and self-respect into a man. The rain over, I go and squat against the canvas that is spread over the arched skylights on the small promenade deck, sitting on the seat that is fixed to the skylight sides. The wind is cold, there are snatches of sun and spits of rain. The big cape has come and is being left behind. We are heading for a far-off cape like a cloud in the grey air. A dimness comes over one's mind, a sort of stupefaction owing to the wind and the relentless slither and rearing of the ship. Not a sickness, but a sort of dim faintness. So much motion, such moving, powerful air and withal a constant triumph in the long, slow sea-gallop of the ship. A great loud bell, midday and the crew going to eat, rushing to eat. After some time we are summoned. The signora isn't eating, asks the waiter eagerly, hoping she is not. Yes, she is eating, say I. I fetch the QB from her berth. Rather wanly she comes and gets into her spin-chair bash comes a huge plate of thick oily cabbage soup very full swilkering over the sides we do what we can with it so does the third passenger a young woman who never wears a hat thereby admitting herself simply as one of the people but who has an expensive complicated dress nigger colored thin silk stockings and suede high-heeled shoes she is handsome sturdy with large dark eyes and a robust frank manner far too robustly downright for italy she is from cagliari and can't do much with the cabbage soup and tells a waiter so in her deep hail-fellow-well-met voice in the doorway hovers a little cloud of alpaca jackets grinning faintly with malignant anticipation of food hoping like blowflies we shall be too ill to eat. Away goes the soup and appears a massive yellow omelette like some log of bilious wood. It is hard and heavy and cooked in the usual rank-tasting olive oil. The young woman doesn't have much truck with it, neither do we, to the triumph of the blowflies who see the yellow monster born to their altar after which a long, long slab of the inevitable meat cut into innumerable slices, tasting of dead nothingness and having a thick source of brown neutrality, sufficient for twelve people at least. This, with masses of strong-tasting greenish cauliflower, liberally weighted with oil, on a ship that was already heaving its heart out, made up the dinner, accumulating malevolent triumph among the blowflies in the passage so on to a dessert of oranges, pears with wooden hearts, and thick yellowish wash, leather flesh, and apples, then coffee. And we had sat through it, which is something. The alpaca blue bottles buzzed over the masses of food that went back on the dishes to the tin altar. Surely it had been made deliberately so that we should not eat it. The Caliories young woman talked to us, Yes, she broke into that awful language which the Italians, the quite ordinary ones, call French, and which they insist on speaking for their own glorification. Yea, when they get to heaven's gate, they will ask St Peter for class." Fortunately or unfortunately, her inquisitiveness got the better of her, and she fell into her native Italian what were we where did we come from where were we going why were we going had we any children did we want any etc after every answer she nodded her head and said Ahoo, and watched us with energetic dark eyes then she ruminated over our nationalities and said to the unseeing witnesses una bella coppia, a fine couple as at the moment we felt neither beautiful nor coupled we only looked greener the grim man at arms coming up to ask us again if we weren't going to have a little wine she lapsed into her ten pound of french which was most difficult to follow and she said that on a sea voyage one must eat one must eat if only a little but and she lapsed into italian one must by no means drink wine no no one didn't want to said i sadly whereupon the grim man-at-arms whom of course we had cheated out of the bottle we refused to have opened for us said with a lost sarcasm that wine made a man of a man etc etc i was too weary of that underground however all i knew was that he wanted wine 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 and we hadn't ordered any he didn't care for food the cagliarese told us she came now from naples and her husband was following in a few days he was doing business in naples i nearly asked if he was a little dogfish this being the italian for profiteer but refrained in time so the two ladies retired to lie down i went and sat under my tarpaulin i felt very dim and only a bit of myself and i dozed blankly THE AFTERNOON GREW MORE SUNNY, THE SHIP TURNED SOUTHWARDS, AND WITH THE WIND AND WAVES BEHIND IT BECAME MUCH WARMER, MUCH SMOOTHER, THE SUN HAD THE LOVELY STRONG WHINY WARMTH, GOLDEN OVER THE DARK BLUE SEA, THE OLD OAKWOOD LOOKED ALMOST WHITE, THE AFTERNOON WAS SWEET UPON THE SEA, AND IN THE SUNSHINE AND THE SWISHING OF THE SEA, THE speedier RUNNING OF THE EMPTY SHIP, I SLEPT A WARM SWEET HOUR AWAY and awoke new, to see ahead pale up-blooming islands, upon the right, the windy Egades, and on the right a mountain or high conical hill, with buildings on the summit, and in front against the sea, still rather far away, buildings rising upon a quay within a harbour, and a mole and a castle forward to sea, all small and far away like a view. The buildings were square and fine, there was something impressive, magical, under the far sunshine and the keen wind, the square and well-proportioned buildings waiting far off, waiting like a lost city in a story, a Rip Van Winkle city. I knew it was Trapani, the western port of Sicily, under the western sun. And the hill near us was Mount Erex. I had never seen it before, so I had imagined a mountain in the sky, but it was only a hill with undistinguishable cluster of a village on the summit where even now cold wisps of vapour caught. They say it is two thousand five hundred feet high, still it looks only a hill. But why in the name of heaven should my heart stand still as I watch that hill which rises above the sea? It is the Etna of the West, but only a town-crowned hill, to men it must have had a magic almost greater than Etna's, watching Africa, Africa showing her coast on clear days, Africa the dreaded, and the great watch-temple of the summit, world-sacred, world-mystic in the world that was, Venus of the Aborigines, older than Greek Aphrodite, Venus of the Aborigines, from her watch-temple looking at Africa beyond the Agatian Isles. The world mystery, the smiling Astarte, this one of the world centres, older than old, and the woman goddess watching Africa. Erisina Riddens, laughing the woman goddess at this centre of an ancient, quite lost world. I confess my heart stood still, but is mere historical fact so strong that what one learns in bits from books can move one so? Or does the very word call an echo out of the dark blood? It seems so to me. It seems to me from the darkest recesses of my blood comes a terrible echo at the name of Mount Eryx. Something quite unaccountable. The name of Athens hardly moves me. At Eryx my darkness quivers. Eryx looking whist into Africa's sunset. Erosina riddens there is a tick-tocking in the little cabin against which i lean the wireless operator is busy communicating with trapani no doubt he is a fat young man with fairish curly hair and an important bearing give a man control of some machine and at once his air of importance and more than human dignity develops one of the unaccountable members of the crew lounges in the little doorway like a chicken on one foot having nothing to do the girl from cagliari comes up with two young men also sardinians by their thick-set independent look and the touch of pride in their dark eyes she has no wraps at all just her elegant fine cloth dress her bare head from which the wisps of hair blow across her brow and the transparent nigger silk stockings yet she does not seem cold she talks with great animation, sitting between the two young men, and she holds the hand of the one in the overcoat affectionately. She is always holding the hand of one or other of the two young men, and wiping wisps of wind-blown hair from her brow, and talking in her strong, nonchalant voice, rapidly, ceaselessly, with massive energy. Heaven knows if the two young men, they are third-class passengers, were previous acquaintances, but they hold her hand like brothers, quite simply and nicely, not at all sticky and libidinous. It all has an air of, why not? She shouts at me as I pass in her powerful, extraordinary French, Madame, votre femme, elle est au lit? I say she is lying down. Ah, she nods, elle a le mal de mer. No, she is not seasick, just lying down. The two young men between whom she is sitting as between two pillows watch with the curious Sardinian dark eyes that seem alert and show the white all round. They are pleasant, a bit like seals, and they have a numb look for the moment, impressed by this strange language. She proceeds energetically to translate into Sardinian as I pass on. We do not seem to be going to Trapani, there lies the town on the left, under the hill, the square buildings that suggest to me the factories of the East India Company, shining in the sun along the curious closed-in harbour, beyond the running dark blue sea. We seem to be making for the island bulk of Levanzo. Perhaps we shall steer away to Sardinia without putting into Trapani. On and on we run and always as if we were going to steer between the pale-blue heaped-up islands leaving Trapani behind us on our left the town has been in sight for an hour or more and still we run out to sea towards Levanzo. and the wireless operator busily tick-tocks and throbs in, in his little cabin on this upper deck peeping in one sees his bed and chair behind a curtain screened off from his little office and all so tidy and pleased looking from the islands one of the mediterranean sailing ships is beating her way across our track to trapani i don't know the name of ships but the carpenter says she is a schooner he says it with that italian misgiving which doesn't really know but which can't bear not to know anyhow on she comes with her tall ladder of square sails white in the afternoon light and her lovely prow curved in with a perfect hollow running like a wild animal on ascent across the waters there the scent leads her north again she changes her tack from the harbour mouth and goes coursing away passing behind us lovely she is nimble and quick and palpitating with all her sails white and bright and eager we are changing our course "'We have all the time been heading for the south of Revanso. "'Now I see the island slowly edging back, "'as if clearing out of the way for us, like a man in the street. "'The island edges and turns aside and walks away, "'and clearly we are making for the harbour mouth. "'We have all this time been running out at sea round the back of the harbour. "'Now I see the fortress castle, an old thing, out forward to sea.' and a little lighthouse and the way in, and beyond the town front with great palm trees and other curious dark trees, and behind these the large square buildings of the south rising imposingly as if severe big palaces upon the promenade. It all has a stately southern imposing appearance, with all remote from our modern centuries, standing back from the tides of our industrial life. I remember the Crusaders, how they called here so often on their way to the east, and Trapani seemed waiting for them still, with its palm trees and its silence, full in the afternoon sun. It has not much to do but wait, apparently. The QB emerges into the sun, crying out, How lovely! And the sea is quieter, we are already in the lee of the harbour curve. From the north... The many-sailed ship from the islands is running down towards us with the wind. And away on the south, on the sea level, numerous short windmills are turning their sails briskly, windmill after windmill, rather stumpy, spinning gaily in the blue silent afternoon among the salt lagoons, stretching away towards Masala. But there is a whole legion of windmills, and Don Quixote would have gone off his head, there they spin hither and thither upon the pale blue sea levels, and perhaps one catches a glitter of white salt heaps, for these are the great salt lagoons which make Trapani rich. End of Chapter Two, Section One.